When I think about being a witness uh, for Christ, I'm reminded of the small town that I grew up in uh, near the southern New Jersey uh, coast. It's uh, called Northfield, Northfield, New Jersey. And um, I actually, I hated Northfield growing up. I didn't like it. I didn't like South Jersey. Um, And if you're a fan of the New Jersey coast, don't hate me yet. The story gets better. Um, But uh, growing up, I thought New Jer- uh, Northfield was just a, kind of this podunk, backwards town. Because I was originally from the big city of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Anybody heard of Elizabeth? It's because it's not that big of a city and it's not that cool. Uh, but it is across the river, across the Hudson River from New York City. So I kind of thought I was a cool city slicker uh, growing up. And yet there I was, stuck in Northfield, New Jersey. All I ever wanted to do was get out of Northfield and move to the city. And and it could have been any city, just out of New Jersey. But it never happened. And here's why. Uh, When I was 20 years old, I began thinking about the purpose of life. Why am I here? What's what's the meaning of life? How, How could I find satisfaction in life? And that's when I began really thinking about God. I, I'd heard about God growing up. I, I went to church. Um, but that's when I really began thinking more specifically that there has to be a God, but I don't know how to know him. At that time, I started a new job in Northfield, of all places. And the administrator at that job was a lady old enough to be my mother and she asked me if I wanted to come to a Bible study. She's a Christian. And I agreed right away. I, I, was, I was looking to know about God. And as I began studying the Bible with her and the other believers in that study, uh, my new Christian friends began to explain the gospel of Jesus to me. I attended church with them, and I began to understand just how much I needed Jesus in my life. And it was through their witness that I came to understand that my sin had separated me from God and that I was under his right, his just condemnation, as we heard in the catechism. But I also learned that God offers the free gift of life and forgiveness to anyone who would turn from their sins and turn to Jesus in faith, not just knowledge about Jesus, not just an assent to yes, I, uh, I think that that's true, but a dependent trust in who he is and what he's done to rescue me from my sins. And after a few years, I began to sense that God might have me be involved in full-time ministry. And so with the encouragement of my pastors at my church, I attended Bible college in Chicago. From there, I went on to be a missionary in the inner city of London. See that? I ended up in the cities, just not as an escape from Northfield this time. After a couple years in London, I moved back to New Jersey, not to Northfield, but the next town over. It was still a little podunk. Um, But I married the love of my life, started having kids, and began working at our home church, and I've been on staff, as Jeremy said, for nearly 24 years. I still would like to live in a big city. And who knows, maybe someday I will. But I no longer hate South Jersey or Northfield because even though I wanted to get out, God kept me there to meet a woman in Northfield 
who witnessed to me for Jesus. And so that lady was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to empower. I can't even read what I'm writing. To empower his people to be his witnesses right where they are in the local context and in places all over the world. So our our passage this morning is Acts chapter 1. If you have a Bible, I don't know if it's on the screen or not, but if you have a Bible, it's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read that for you. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sights. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray briefly. Father in heaven, we ask that this word that we hear and consider this morning would be a timely word, that it would impact and affect our souls and our lives as you would want it to be. So work in this time. Help me to speak as I should. Keep me from saying things I shouldn't. Give me words that I haven't even prepared for that your word would go forth in power, in conviction, and in joy. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I just want to give you a little bit of background um, before we start moving more into the text. The author of this book of Acts is uh, Luke. And he says that... In his first book, the Gospel of Luke, uh, he wrote things uh, that Jesus began to do and teach. But now in this, his second book, he's telling us essentially what Jesus is continuing to do. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the Acts of Jesus working through the Apostles and the early church to see the church go into the world. And Jesus is doing that through the power of his spirit, as I said, through his followers. So Jesus has resurrected. He has shown himself alive over 40 days with many proofs to many people. During those days, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God, which is the rule of God in the hearts of those who would gladly believe in Jesus, who would follow and submit their lives to them. And and it's not just for Israel, right? 
it, it's to happen all over the world, among all people groups and within all nations. Now, the disciples understand from the Old Testament prophecies that God would establish his kingdom with the coming of his spirit. And so in verse 5, when Jesus says uh, that they would be baptized with the spirit not many days from now, they ask him in verse 6, so is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so they're likely interpreting uh, what the kingdom means with narrow ethnic eyes. They see it as a a national and political renewal of the Jewish nation. And and, uh, their spiritual eyes need to be widened to see that God's kingdom is going to extend beyond the borders of national Israel. And so he says to them, listen, you you don't need to concern yourself with the timing of these things. Here's what I want you to do. You wait for the spirit to come. And when he does, you will have power to be my witnesses and offer this kingdom to people all over the world. That's what you need to be concerned with. So all they need to do is wait and watch what Jesus would do in them in the power of his spirit. So what Jesus is telling them and and all of us who are followers of Christ is that they will be empowered by the Spirit, to be his witnesses both locally and globally. So the first thing we want to consider is, what is a witness? And what are Jesus' witnesses, what are they to do? How how are they to be his witnesses? So um, so first, our first point, we're called to be witnesses. Now this is nothing new, right? If we know anything in sovereign grace, it is that we are to be giving witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and for any of us who have followed Jesus, for any of the, we, we want to be that. We want to be his witnesses. But just for clarity's sake, I, I want us to consider a little more closely what exactly a witness is and what a witness does. So think of your favorite cop show or courtroom drama. A witness in those shows is someone who observes or hears about something and then gives a verbal testimony of what, he has seen or heard or knows. That's the same thing that is true for a biblical witness. As Jesus told the disciples that they would be his witnesses, they spoke. They proclaimed what they saw and knew to be true about Christ. And so there has to be verbal proclamation if we are to be authentic witnesses. Sometimes we hear uh, Christians say things like, well, that they, they witness for Jesus by how they live their lives. A, a famous quote that's often credited uh, to St. Francis Assisi says this, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. You might have, you might have heard that. In reality, uh, Francis never said that. He was, in fact, an enthusiastic advocate for the verbal proclamation of the gospel. And one of his biographers wrote that Francis preached the gospel filled with the power of the Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart so that his listeners were turned with great amazement. Now, he did say a preacher should practice what he preaches. 
a Christian's deeds should match his words because our deeds give glory to the God that we proclaim. It brings an authenticity to it. But we must not ever think that a biblical witness can ever happen with deeds only. They must be there. There must be good works for the Christian. But gospel witness is essentially and characteristically verbal, right? The, the classic verse for this is Romans ten fourteen. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, meaning proclaiming, right? And so we understand this verse does not apply only to pastors or missionaries, but to every true follower of Jesus. We are all called to this. So biblical witnesses must first and foremost be proclaimers or presenters of the gospel. And what we proclaim is who Jesus is, what he came to do and what our response to him should be. So who is Jesus? In the gospel of Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks his disciples who people say he is, right? And, and um, and there are a number of different answers that they give. But then Jesus asks them directly, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? And Peter answers with this amazing declaration, you are the Christ of God. Christ is the Greek equivalent for the Hebrew word Messiah. And the Old Testament teaches that God would provide a deliverer, Messiah, one who is anointed That is, he is appointed and empowered for a particular task. And his task would be to release God's people from their oppression that they are suffering because of their sin and rebellion against God. The Messiah is also known as the Son of Man, meaning he would be human. But he would have divine qualities that only God could have, making him both God and man in one person. And as he comes to deliver his people, he would also establish the eternal reign of God on earth. And as we said, it's not just for the Jewish people, but among all the people groups of the world who would turn to him. Now, we have to remember, this Messiah um, would not be a military or political emperor, conqueror, but as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the deliverance that's needed. Not not merely physical or national oppression, but from the oppression of sin because that's the root of all oppression in all the world. That's the root of all sin. And so going back to Luke 9, Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Jesus says, yes, that's right. The son of man must suffer and be rejected and killed and on the third day rise from the dead. That's who Jesus is, God in human flesh. And what he did was establish his kingdom by delivering people from their sin through his death on the cross as the payment that their sins deserve. Now, anybody can say, So I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to die for your sins, right? I could say that to you right now, that I'm going to do that. Um, But how do you know that that's legitimate? By conquering the very thing that sin produces, death itself. Only Jesus does that. So he doesn't just die. He rises from the dead as a declaration that he's got all power to fulfill what he said he would do. 
That's why the disciples are willing to risk their lives by being Jesus' witnesses because he rose from the dead. Anybody can die for what they believe in, even if it's a lie. If they think it's true, they they would die for it. But nobody dies for what they know is a lie. That's what the disciples did. They're like, but we saw him. We can't deny that. And so they were willing to die for what is true. They're not going to die for what they know is a lie. I mean, if, if it was me and I knew it was a lie, I'd be like, nope, he didn't do it. Don't kill me. But they were willing to die for that. As witnesses, we then call people. So that's that's we tell people who Jesus is and what he did. As witnesses, then we call people to repent of their sins, meaning they turn from going their own way, living without God, living without any reference to God, and they turn to the person of Jesus. And they put all their trust in him for their forgiveness. That's what we proclaim. And that repentance and faith is the only appropriate response to the one who conquered death that we might have peace with God and everlasting joy. So that was point number one. What is a witness? How do they witness? Point number two, we are witnesses locally and globally. Um, So that's, we discover where this witness is supposed to happen. Looking at verse eight, we see that their witness was to happen right where they were locally in Jerusalem then regionally and nationally into Judea and Samaria, and then to all the earth. It it was to be an ever outwardly expanding witness. And the particular emphasis is to the people who have not yet heard or have little opportunity to hear unless someone is sent. In our day, we would speak of unreached uh, people groups. That's ethnic groupings of people who have little or no gospel witness among them. In our church, we, um, I got to move this thing. We have uh, a couple of missionaries who work among an unreached people group in the Middle East. We have another missionary family that is working with an unreached people group in Thailand. People that may have heard about Jesus or maybe heard nothing about Jesus, But no one is telling them who Jesus really is and what he did. And they need him. That that would be an unreached people group. And so Jesus' followers are to strategically evangelize neighborhoods and cities and see people converted, baptized, and local churches started. Where they can be cared for in those churches and equipped and then sent out to do the very same thing among other people groups who still have not yet heard. And why would Jesus want that? Why why, why would he want those witnesses to go to the ends of the earth? Because Jesus owns the ends of the earth. And he is worthy of worship in every place and among every people group in the world. He is worthy to be praised. And not only is he worthy of that worship, those who do receive him will know their deepest joy and satisfaction that can only come in him. Friends, that's what we were created for. We were made to know, love, treasure, and worship Jesus and make him no. 
So we are to be witnesses right where we are locally, but also where Jesus is not known globally. Dr. David Platt, pastor in uh, Metro DC, once said this, the local mission is totally necessary. Totally necessary, what you're doing here in Southerton. Global missions is tragically neglected. So local mission to unsafe people, growing together in biblical community, being equipped for ministry in the church right where you are, totally necessary. We do not ever want to negate or ignore that. But when it comes to global missions, did you know that for every dollar given to missions, one cent goes to the most unreached people groups in the world where there is no church, no gospel witness, no missionaries. One cent. And only 3% of all missionaries are going to those unreached people groups. That's why in Sovereign Grace, we, we're, we, we've begun to work at uh, helping our churches build a vision for gospel mission to people in places where uh, Jesus is not really known. As we, we, we have a family working in uh, the Middle East among an unreached Muslim people group. Uh, we have, it's a, a team in Turkey. They're learning the language. They're learning the culture. They're getting into the lives of men and women. They're looking to see the church established there. Uh, and, and those people in Turkey, they've heard of Jesus, but they do not believe that he alone can save. They need to know that. We, we want to see people going into India where there are over, check this out, in India, one country alone, over a billion people, 2,500 people groups, one country. And most of them have no one to bring them the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We also have a team, as I said, uh, bringing the gospel hope to Buddhists in Thailand and Southeast Asia. And as we send missionaries, support them, encourage and pray for them, you join the work. And, and you might not be able to go physically. You, you, that might not even be on your radar. But maybe it is something you can do. Maybe you've heard about global missions. Maybe you've even thought about it. Maybe God would even call you to consider that. But even if you don't, when you partner, when we partner with them, we join in their work with Going spirits, even if you can't go physically, you can go with them. You can have a going spirit. And so we want to be witnesses among the nations. But even though, so this message is not just about global missions, even though global missions can be tragically neglected, I think sometimes, friends, I think um, that even the local mission, right where we are, can also be neglected. In my small groups, I, I sometimes ask the question, why is it so hard? Why, why is it so hard for us to talk to people about Jesus? To, to just bring up spiritual things. Why, why is that so hard? And there's all kinds of reasons people give. I, I'm, I'm afraid of what people might think of me, what they might say back to me. Uh, I'm afraid of losing relationships. What if I mess it up and then I'm, I make things worse than it is? I, I'm not very equipped for it. Most recently, I got this answer from uh, a gal in a, a, a missions reading group that I had. When I asked the question, she said, sometimes I just forget that I'm living in the last times, meaning the time from Jesus 
resurrection and ascension until the time he comes back. She says, I, I, I forget that I'm living in the last times. And I'm just thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner and what I'm going to do after that. Sometimes we forget that we're in the last days and we've been given a mission. And if I'm going to be answer, honest, her answer is my answer. Friends, I, I want to urge us in the name of Jesus, with God's help, that we remember, really remember, that we're in the last days and that we would live with the mission of Christ in mind. It was the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven. The last thing that was recorded. You shall be my witnesses. That carries weight and significance to it, right? So go to the supermarket with the mission in mind. Send your kids to school with the mission in mind. Come to church with the mission in mind. Leave the church, as Jeremy said. Leave the church with mission in mind. Drive with the mission in mind. Now, that's going to be a challenge. When someone cuts you off and you're ready to ball them out, right? There's a Belarusian pastor I, 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 I went to school with, college with, and he told a story about how he was driving in his home country and someone cut him off and he was ticked and he pulled up to the guy and he rolled down his window and he said, Christ is risen. That's driving with the mission in mind, right? Go to work with the mission in mind. Interact with family and neighbors with the mission in mind. Go to the gym with the mission in mind. Go to vacation with the mission in in mind. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you got to talk to everybody you meet about Jesus. All I'm saying is let's have a biblical mindset that says, this is who I am. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. My, my call is to know him, to delight in him, to obey him, to come alongside Christ's people and to make him known locally and globally. To be a witness must mean to some extent that you are a witness. Is that too much to think about? All those different places you got to have the mission in mind? Sometimes it is. And that's why we need the power of God, right? That's our third point. We, we do witness, we witness in the power of the Spirit because we can't can't do this on our own. We don't have the the savvy or the intellect or the powers of persuasion that we need to do this work of witness. And on top of all that, our job, check this out, our job is to proclaim a message to people that have no spiritual capacity to understand that. It's like, you know, you're, you're just playing a losing game. But are you? 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, that is the unbeliever, does not accept the things of God for they are folly. It's foolishness to, to them to hear the gospel. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. On their own, unbelievers cannot understand, they can't even believe the things of God. So in one sense, we have this impossible task. On our own. We need something beyond ourselves. 
So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ, we already have the Spirit dwelling within us. But we need to humbly depend on the Spirit to enable us and to empower our witness if it is to be any spiritual value. Friends, all we got to do is speak the gospel. I think it was Spurgeon or Moody. I can't remember which said, the gospel is like a lion. All you got to do is open the cage and let it out. The gospel, the spirit working through the gospel will do the work that we cannot do. But we do have a part, right? So how do we, how do we experience this power? First of all, we recognize that um, every believer has the Holy Spirit within them. So power is always available. We must never think, I can't do that. There's no way I can do that. If you're in Christ, the Spirit is in you. You have every power and help that you need. Second, as we look at the disciples in Acts, they experience the power of the Spirit to witness as they prayed. In Acts 2, after Jesus ascended, told them to wait for the Spirit, they went and prayed. They prayed for 10 days. Like, we have trouble praying for 10 minutes, right? But they did it for 10 days. It was after that time of prayer that they're filled with the Spirit and they begin speaking about the mighty things that God has done in Christ. Later, in Acts 4, after being persecuted, I mean, you think, okay, they're, they're like beating me. I better just shut up. No, no. They, they keep going on with their witness. And they pray, asking God to give them boldness to speak. And you know what it says? It says that the place they were in was shaken. They felt the power of God. And they were filled with the Spirit, and they proclaimed, they continued to proclaim with boldness. So they prayed, asking God for the work, to do his work, and they were filled. Thirdly, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul tells Christians to be filled with the Spirit. In Acts, it happened as they prayed. So when Paul says that they should be filled with the Spirit, I take that to mean that in prayer, they are to come under the influencing effects of the Spirit. Okay, so... He says right before that, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? What happens when you're filled with wine and you go driving? In the old days, they said you would get a DUI. What does that stand for? Driving under the influence. The wine, the alcohol, the marijuana, whatever it is, is influencing you. And so then he says, don't don't do that. Fill yourself with the influencing effects and power of the Spirit. And this happens particularly as we look at the Word of God, which is inspired by the Spirit of God. So as we read the Word, as we meditate on it, believe it, and prayerfully seek God's help to live it out, we are being filled with the Spirit, who then empowers us to live according to His will, and to witness for his son. So far we've seen that we are called to be witnesses. Those who speak for Jesus. What he's done and what he's calling people to believe in him. Next we, we saw that we are called to be those witnesses locally and globally. We don't want to neglect either. Because we're saved to live with this mission in mind. 
Thirdly, we are, to, we are to be witnesses in the power of the Spirit. And it's available to everyone who claims the name of Christ. We can pray for it and we can seek it as we look to the word in faith. Lastly, we are to be witnesses by looking to Jesus. By simply looking to him and being compelled by him for witness. Now, maybe you're convinced that we're all called to be witnesses. I don't doubt that. Perhaps you are persuaded that you need the power of the Spirit to do that. Maybe you, though, lack motivation at times to actually do something about it. I do. I think as we look at the last verses of the passage, we can see the motivation that God gives the disciples and us. Listen to what it says in verses 9 to 11. Acts 1. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on Jesus, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So a cloud took Jesus out of their sight. Now, most commentators would say that this is no ordinary cloud, but the cloud of God's glory. There there was a, a manifestation of God happening at that moment. And throughout the scripture, the cloud represents the presence and the pleasure of God. As the disciples see Jesus going up into the cloud, they are likely reminded of the the pillar of cloud that led Israel through the desert in the Exodus. It might make them think of the cloud that rested on the tabernacle, reassuring the Israelites of God's presence and his power with them. It might um, likely remind a few of the disciples in particular, Peter, James, and John, of the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus revealed himself to them in all of his glory, and it says a cloud appeared and a voice of God, the voice of God spoke. And that time was when Moses and Elijah joined Jesus. Those two men together at the Mount of Transfiguration, they they represent the writings of the Old Testament, indicating that all that God has said, all that God has revealed in his word, it all points to Jesus. And as Jesus is ascending into the cloud, their, their eyes are fixed on this amazing sight. They're, they're staring at him. They're hanging on to his words. There's no doubt that they are dumbfounded and awestruck by what they see. And then two guys show up. And normally, we hear about these guys and we think that they're angels, right? Like they're in whites. They kind of appear out of nowhere. Who else would they be? They show up, and interestingly, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson says that typically when Luke writes about angels, he simply uses the word angel. He doesn't use the word man or men. That's the word he uses here. So is this perhaps reminiscent of the two men who appeared at the transfiguration? Are they perhaps Moses and Elijah showing up again? as a vivid reminder to the disciples 
of all that Christ is and all that he calls them to do, whether it is or not. Listen to what Ferguson says. God gives them one last amazing supernatural manifestation at the ascension of Christ to make sure that they remember what God said to them on the mountain of transfiguration. This is my beloved son. You listen to him. Look to him. Look to Jesus. Remember all that he said, all that he did. Remember and rejoice in his admirable character, his attractive character, all that he is in his purity and goodness and graciousness and mercy and truth. Look to him. Look to his death. Remember and rejoice in what he did to rescue you from the bondage of sin and to free you from that bondage to have fullness of life where you could love and follow Christ. Remember that he didn't just stay dead. Remember and rejoice that he rose from the dead and therefore has power to help you to live for him. Remember and rejoice that he ascended into heaven and he rules the universe forever. And one day he's coming back again. Remember all that he is, all that he has said, all that he has done. And so the men in white say to the disciples, guys, why, why are you standing there? Why are you just standing there looking up into heaven? Jesus is coming back just as you saw him go. It's as if the two men are saying, don't just stand there, do something. Do something. He's called you to be witnesses. Listen to him. He will empower you. Now go and do it. What do we do then with what we've heard um, that we might have power to be Jesus' witnesses? I'm going to give you three words that begin with the letter A. Maybe you'll remember them because of that. Be in awe, ask, and act. Be in awe, ask, and act. Be in awe, remembering what we just said, all that Jesus has done, all that he is. Remember who he is and what he's done. uh, That sounds good, right? But how do we do that? Think about the disciples, right? They spent three years with him. And what did they do? They ate with him. They traveled with him. They talked with him. They watched him. They listened to him. They were always getting close to Jesus. Christ offers to come close to us in his word, in prayer, in private worship, in the fellowship of his people. These are just simple means of grace. And they grew to love him. So friends, when you read the Bible, don't just read about Jesus. Talk to Jesus about what you're reading. Have an ongoing conversation. Because, you know, we we don't want to just get good information. We need right doctrine. Your, your pastor is right. We need right doctrine so that we can think rightly, feel rightly, live rightly. But then you talk to Jesus about it. Don't just get information about Jesus. You spend time with him as you meditate and think on the word. So let's not neglect to draw near to Jesus because we will not be moved for mission if we don't think about much about the one who gave us the mission. Um, a missionary hero of mine, Henry Martin, said this. 
The spirit of Jesus is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Jesus, the more missionary we become. Not just on the other side of the world, right here. The nearer you get to Jesus, the more local missionary you become. So be in awe. Secondly, ask. Pray. Ask God for his help to, be his po- to have his power for witness. And admit your weakness in it. Right? Ask him for grace to be mindful of the mission, to have courage and wisdom to know how to speak. Pray that um, uh, he would save the souls of your family, your friends, your co-workers, but then also pray that he would use you to actually open your mouth. We're, I, I know in my small groups, we're, we're good at praying that God would save our friends and family. We don't always pray that God would give us courage and wisdom to actually speak. So ask, ask. Thirdly, act, act. Make a plan. Write down who in your life that you want to see reached with the gospel. Maybe two, maybe three names. That's it. Simple, right? And then come up with ideas about how you can just get together with them. And it doesn't even have to be something special. It just could be something that you're already doing, right? Taking a walk, invite a friend. Watch the game, watching a game. Invite a coworker or a family member. Playing a game like pickleball. Oh my goodness, okay, so we have in our church, we got all this pickleball stuff going on. I have to, I have to confess, when, when uh, this group of people in the church started doing the pickleball, I was like, how much pickleball can we have going on at this church? It was happening all the time. And like, what's that going to do? You know what it's doing? After three years of it, all kinds of people are coming to church now. All kinds of people are coming to Christianity Explored, to women's event and thing. Pickleball is doing something. It's just inviting people to do something you're already doing. Go shopping with them. See a movie. It's, it's just about building relationship. Think about what that might be. And then actually contact somebody about doing it. And, and like do it this week. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids. Talk to your small group. And come up with those names. And then do something. And then when you do, when you get together, bring, bring, up, bring up spiritual issues. Asking God for that. Sometimes we ask, God, give me an opportunity. Sometimes we need to make the opportunity. Sometimes we need to say, hey, you know when we were talking about this? What do you think about this? Have you ever read the Bible? What do you think about Jesus? What was your spiritual life growing up? Did you go to church? Something to bring up spiritual concerns. And then ask God for courage to actually talk about Jesus. But this is where fear or tiredness or busyness or feeling like a failure, that can, that can mess up the whole thing. And so we need help to follow through. I, I know I do. Because listen, when, when something is really important to us, we always, always, always make time. And we give energy to making that thing happen. I like being clean. I always take a shower every day sometimes too. I plan for it. I like to eat. Like, I don't get people who work through lunch. I don't, I don't understand that. And they don't have lunch. I never miss lunch. I like it. I plan for it. 
Anything that's important to us, we can plan for. And you can ask God for help with this. And listen, um, I don't have this all figured out. So like I'm the evangelism and missions guy at our church. I do not have this figured out. I was telling my friends as we were driving here this morning, last year I was at a a Sovereign Grace conference in Glen Mills. And uh, my sons and I, they're grown. We went to this cafe in Westchester. And uh, the owner was walking by the table and I asked him something about the food. And then he just hung out and started talking to us for like a long time. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I can't keep just talking to this guy about coffee and food. Like, how do I talk to him about spiritual things? And one of my sons got up and left and go to the bathroom and he came back. And in that time, I started talking to this fellow about the gospel. And I found out that my son went to the bathroom and prayed that I would actually do that. We, you know, we can pray for one another. And so I left that guy and I said, can I, can I pray about anything for you? And he said, you know what? The state of the world is just really, really bad. And I'm concerned that um, things are not going to get better. I, I, I want to know, I want hope that things are going to get better. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you for that. Fast forward a year later. This was actually yesterday. I go back to the same cafe. I got a track in hand. I rem- I've been thinking about this guy for a year. He's not there when I get in, but he shows up later. And I go up and I said, hey, you're Lenny, right? And I said, we met last year with my, my son. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember. I said, you remember what you told me to pray for? I said, yeah. I said, well, I just wanted to share this thing with you that you might know the hope that I have. But then I kind of kept pressing it, and he was kind of like, yeah, if, I'll, I'll let you know if I'm interested for, for more information. I kind of blew it, to be honest with you. Or at least I felt like I blew it. And I left really downcast. But you know my friend Jim Donahue, you guys might know Jim from uh, Covenant Fellowship. He would say that um, sometimes when we witness, sometimes we might not do such a great job. But Uh, That's not failure. Failure would be to do nothing. Success is just looking to the Spirit and asking Him for help to simply say something. And so even though I felt like I blew it, I was thankful that God could even use my messed up witnessing to do something in Lenny's life. God can do that for you. He wants to help you with that. So let's be in awe of Jesus. Just spend time with him, knowing him, delighting in him, worshiping him. Get to know Jesus and, and find your greatest pleasure in him. And then let's, let's ask God for his help, for his power. Only he can do this work. He calls us to do one thing, look to him and then open our mouths. And then let's act and plan to do something to move us to be empowered for witness. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, for your people who are here this morning, I know that if they are truly in you, they want to be your witnesses. you've, You've put that in us. And sometimes we just need help. 
So Holy Spirit, would you give us grace that we would even have faith to believe your word that says we should be your witnesses. Sometimes we just even lack faith thinking that we can do it. Give us faith to believe it and, and give us grace that we would then look to you for the power that we need to walk in that. Help us to pray for it day by day. Help us to encourage one another in it because we really love you and we really want to make you known and to give others this great hope that somebody gave to us. Would you work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.